Well, before we get into all the fun of our first episode back for Series 2 of Who Nicked My Wine, Nick and I were discussing earlier that we wanted to spend a moment talking about what happened in the Adelaide Hills and Kangaroo Island and across Australia, but primarily South Australia, um, over summer, specifically December and January. Uh, For those that don't know, um, and I don't know how you wouldn't, but uh, there were some absolutely devastating fires in South Australia over the course of summer, which has left a lot of our friends and associates in the wine industry absolutely devastated. There is a big outcry at the moment for people to get up to the hills and get to Kangaroo Island and go with an empty esky, start spending your money. 100% they are open for business and they will welcome you with open arms. Yep. Visit the areas hit and spend your money. That's probably the best thing you can do. Mm -hmm. These are really tight communities that they do help each other out. So every penny that you you spend there will help them rebuild. Um, There's a a campaign called Book Them Out. I think so you can look at that up online. Um, there's more information on there. There's a number of uh, wineries that have been hit to varying states, but all all very, very, um, very much damaged by these fires. I'm just going to list a few of them. It's it's not all of them, but I'm going to list a few that were most severely hit. Adam Lovey's Wine, Anderson Hill, Art Wine, Barrister's Block, Bird in Hand, Emmeline Wines, Golding Estate, Howard Vineyard, New Era Vineyards, Nova Vita Wines, Petaluma, Simon Tolly Wines, Tilbrook Estate, Tomich Wines, and Vintelopa. Now, some of these guys have, have lost all of their vines, their uh, winemaking equipment, and their homes. All in, all in one go. Yeah. Um, so, if, if there's anything, if, any, if you can buy one bottle of wine from these guys online, direct, if they still have any wine left, I know some of these guys don't, they've lost everything. Um, then please do that. It doesn't have to be a lot of money, just anything would really, really help them. Absolutely. Um, there's also the Adelaide Hills Wine Region Fire Appeal. There's a GoFundMe page. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, just look this stuff up online and help any way that you can. And um, not only these wineries that have been directly affected, but there are a lot of businesses in the Adelaide Hills that support these wineries that are ancillary businesses, they're suppliers Mm. to the wineries and so on. We are facing a massive economic downturn in the Adelaide Hills and in Kangaroo Island based purely on the fact that nobody's going and they believe it's too dangerous to go. Please, these places are open for business. Get up there, get spending your money. They use the other industries as suppliers as well. It will become Become a symbiotic feeding process where the money starts going back into the economies where it needs to be. But the first thing has to start with you, the customer. Please get up the hills, get to Kangaroo Island if you can, start spending your money. Be a tourist in your own state and a tourist in your own town because believe me, it's absolutely worth it. Episode 1, Series 2. We're back, Nick. That makes it sound really important. I know. We're actually back. We're, we're back in the studio for the first time in a while. Huzzah! It feels odd. It does. It I feel... can't, de- can't deny it. Look, I must admit, I was. Um, I felt a little bit like a fish out of water coming back in. Yeah. But um, I'm really, really glad to be back. It's good to be back. It feels, feels good now. It feels good. Look, we've had a hell of a summer. 
Yeah. Yeah. We have, unfortunately. We've covered that off in our intro, but um, I think it's really important for us to understand. Like, we've had a hell of a summer in South Australia. It's not been great for the wine industry. Summer is still still here. Mm. And um, look, I'm fascinated to find out what uh, what all of our guests this season have got to say about what they believe the 2020 vintage is going to look like, just based on what's actually gone down. There's going to be one. There's going to be one. Look, I'm. Yeah. I, um, I wish the more sincerely every single winemaker out there i wish sincerely the best of luck because my goodness what you guys are actually up against this year i do not envy your task one bit no. now one of those guys is matthew walker brown who was here last year doing molly duca's enchanted that was path our first ever episode our very first episode so we thought it only fitting Exciting. to bring matt back for episode one of series two as he was the first person to jump on board and support who nicked my wine yeah, he was we thought that it would only be appropriate for us to bring him back Indeed. and and get another one of his wines out of him. Mm. And what a wine he bought. The well, Boxer yeah. Shiraz. The Boxer Shiraz. It's really good. I've, look, I've been a fan of this wine for quite some time. It's not the first vintage they've released. Um, the 2018 is very much of a very of a similar ilk. Um, they haven't deviated from the formula very much. It's still... It's a stay-in-your-lane Shiraz, but it's a really good lane to stay in. You know what I mean? It's one of those ones that when you go to a bar and you read their wine list and you see that the Molly Duca boxer is on the pour, you're like, yep. oh, good, you've got a good Shiraz that yeah. I can buy by the glass. It. You know, it's absolutely one it, of those it may, it may well be their entry-level Shiraz, but we're, we're talking about Molly Duca, so entry-level Shiraz for Molly Duca is, 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 is going to be they, good. The good thing is you know that they know what good is. Absolutely. And when they put it on the, you know that it's a safe bet. It's yeah. it, you're going to have a good wine. Mm. Um, now the box of Shiraz is not just a good wine. It's actually very, very nice. I'm a big fan of this. It's very tasty. It's very, it's like spicy. It's full bodied. It's got quite high alcohol content. Quite I high alcohol content. Fifteen and a half. Fifteen and a half. But it's fruit driven, and like all like Molly Duca, that's all their wines. Though, it is. It? It's it's apparently picked a little bit later as yep, they normally so. do but um we'll get that all from matt yeah. but you're absolutely right look very fruit forward quite punchy on the dark fruits the plums and the blackberries yep. and those sorts of things yep. not so much on the on the acid side of things but that again is a molly duca style i think it's something they aim for with their with their flavor balances yeah. they kind of wind their acid back a little bit would you would you yeah, absolutely agree. Um, so on the nose, I was getting blackberries and blackcurrant, but I was also getting like tobacco leaves. So I, I couldn't work out what it was, mm-hmm. and it kind of triggered a memory. You know that smell is supposed to trigger memories, yes. be- better than anything else. Yes, right? yes. So it, I, I smelled the wine. And I was thinking, what's going on here? And there was a like, mm. memory came back from when I, went, I was in on holiday in Cuba. Oh, and okay. I visited a cigar factory in Cuba. Oh, okay. Rolled on the thighs of a virgin. Oh. Uh, not actually. Though. No, no, not they actually. don't do that, that. That's Alan Partridge. Don't yeah. worry about that. That's not actually happening. No. But it was a, it was a uh, cigar factory in Cuba, and th- th- this was the smell I was getting from this wine. Okay. So it's like a tobacco leaf. It's not tobacco. No, no, it's, it's not, not like smelling a durry. It's but, not like smelling an yeah. actual cigar. It, it's, it, it, was, it was the smell of this cigar factory, which is... Yeah, an incredibly unique smell. Mm. But I was getting this from this wine, mm. uh, as well as all the, the all the kind of dark berries and stuff like that. Look, it's yeah, I I, I love it. Um, apparently, um, we'll we'll find out from that. Not all McLaren Vale grapes in this lot. 
Um, I'll be Langhorn Creek as well. Langhorn Creek as well. I'll be interested to hear from Matt about all of the the, the machinations of what have gone into the box of Shiraz. And and yeah, and, and what's the difference between McLaren Vale, Shiraz grapes, and Langhorn Creek? That's it. I mean, well, they, they're about fifty kilometres apart, so I, you know, I, I wouldn't know what the difference would be from that. No, but they That's are a relatively small distance. They are different climates, though. I mean, one is a coastal climate, and yeah. Lake Alexandria is—I um, mean, it's right there, but it's freshwater. Okay. So, I—I I don't know whether whether salt has an impact on the grapes as far as what actually happens. Okay. But well, wait, we've got. If I remember, I'll ask Matt. Yeah, well, we've got yeah. the expert coming in. So yeah, yeah, sure. What are you getting on the? What are you getting on the palate? Look on the palate with this. I, for me, it's actually all about the spice. Okay. I, I, I love the spice of this wine. I love the finish. It's got a really nice, long, broad finish. It doesn't narrow oh. down. It doesn't dry out and leave you kind of just with just spice. There is still some fruit on the aftertaste, but yeah. it's, again, it's like a good plum pudding. You know, when you eat it, it lingers. It stays with you. And I get plenty of that. I get cinnamon. I get... Um, a little bit of aniseed. I get a little bit of clove. Mm. Um, all of almost your mulled wine flavors. I think this wine would be okay. great with game. Um, I would I would definitely pair this with kangaroo. Okay. Um, I would love serving it with venison because it's again one of those Shiraz that doesn't actually steamroll you with no, it's, its not, it own flavor that. profile. Yeah. It actually kind of stacks up really well next to food. Yeah, it's very accessible. Yeah, as a wine, and Absolutely. it's very drinkable with food as well. And accessibility is actually something as well. Its price point is yeah. stupidly accessible for the quality yeah. that you've got. Yeah, um, I think I don't know what it is at that at the cellar door, but I think you can get it in the in the bottle shop for about fifteen to eighteen dollars. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the pour uh, in most bars, it's sitting between ten and eleven dollars per glass, which. Tells if you, you dial that back, if you dial that back and then it put out. it into the retail paradigm, it kind of works out at about the fifteen to twenty dollars a bottle, maybe okay. a little more. But um, look, when you put it up against the Blue Eyed Boy and so on, it's probably not their top tier. No, but uh, it's not supposed to be. No, but this is the thing with Molly Duker as well, though, is that even though it's not top tier price point, as far as the quality of what you're actually drinking. See, I don't think they release anything that they're not 100% happy with. That's it. And they just, they, they are, they're, the, the quality level is, is, is so high. That's it. I mean, I remember listening to Matt last time he spoke to us about the Enchanted Path and the fruit weight. Um, and it's obviously the driving force of what mm. Molly Duca does mm. is absolutely the fruit forward flavor the balance of that is actually what drives their yeah. brand well we're talking um, about that i mean i i got on so the blackberries i was getting on the nose i was getting on the palate as well yeah. as well as blueberries actually mm-hmm. quite mm-hmm. a lot of that that was really the the kind of major uh, flavor i was getting as well as bramble now i i bramble jelly is something that exists in the uk i don't know what do you have it here no. you might call it something else i so, don't know what it's called here no like, it's a be- it's a berry it's a dark berry right blackberry no it's not a blackberry it's a se- it's a separate berry okay called bramble okay and there's something called bramble jelly in the uk it's very unique flavor right, okay. that's what i was getting on the palate as yep. well as well as a bit of little tiny hint of licorice at the end mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. It, it was it's such a gorgeous wine it's it is such a lovely wine it's, what would you what would you eat with it so when I first had it to drink, I just thought there was there were three words that popped into my head: 
rare roast beef. There you go. Like rare. Yep. Rare roast beef. Yep. yep. Like you a know, really not- thin slices of rare roast beef. Just. Do you know what I can see? Is I can I, I can almost go back to the 1980s to like this is a this is a cultural <laughs> reference that you probably won't get because you weren't here. But if anybody's ever seen a Bernard King cookbook with the crown roast with the little chef's hats on the bone, oh, and no, then the inside the of the crown roast is filled with roast potatoes and and there's just gravy everywhere, that is my kind of party with this wine. You're right. I don't get that reference, no. but I do get the the, the hats on the hats on, on the, the yeah, yeah. What was that about? Well, uh, it Why was. Why did you do that? It was 1980. No one knew anything. No, no, no one point. cared. No one yeah. cared. Yeah. No, I, I do. Yeah. Uh, just rare roast beef. Just gorgeous. Yeah. Beautiful. With beautiful. Okay. Work really, really well. Yep. Yeah. Bit of horseradish. Bit of red wine juice. You love a bit of horseradish, don't you? The horseradish and beef is like fish and chips, You've Nick. You've got a fetish about horseradish. Yes, I do. Or at least an obsession. Well, it's a healthy obsession because, my God, it's good for you. No, no I, I do love yeah. a bit of horseradish. It really actually. is good. I love it fresh, like getting yeah, the fresh, fresh horseradish, horseradish and grating it over the top. Um, it's great. I don't know why I grated then when I did you that. You actually physically did the grating did motion. The grating. No <laughs> like one I, can like see that. I didn't that, know what grating was. But everybody heard it. it yes. It yes. sounded like that, which makes for great <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> oh, we've got this. Oh, dear. We, we've done it, Nick. We, we, we've actually achieved what we wanted to achieve, which what is every, it, at least once an episode, we need to have our sound engineer in stitches. And that, and is that, that what just it was? Is that what happened? That just did it. Is so, he, so tick in that box. He's wetting himself slightly. He's okay. absolutely wetting himself. A little bit has come out. So we can tick that box and then welcome Matt Walker-Brown into the studio and continue on with the interview hopefully as though nothing's I, happened. Yeah, hopefully the... You know, Tim can sort himself out by this. Well, dry himself out. <laughs> Maybe we don't know Charles yet. Is on the there's radio, no, there's, so there's, there's no guarantee yet, so we might need to take a moment. Fingers but in the crossed. meantime, let's grab Matt, bring him into the studio, and find out what he's got to say about the boxer. What let's do you do think? It. Let's do cool. it. Well, we're back with Matt Walker Brown. Welcome back, Matt. Very excited to be back. Thank cool. you so much for coming back. This is episode one of series two. You were here as episode as our fir- very very first guest on Who Nick My Wine, so we thought it was only appropriate appropriate to bring you back for episode one of season two. Excellent. And it was good times listening to all the other podcasts. There was heaps of wine information, heaps of yeah cool deep diving on different wine practices oh, thank very you very nice of you to say that that's kind of thing lovely to hear we'll take all the compliments we can ta- get really yeah, yeah excellent don't get too many so <laughs> no so what have you been up to since we saw you last um it's been busy um sales blending the 19s into wines and looking out to see how vintage 2020 uh treats us and how's that looking it's interesting. It's been quite a varied year. Um, you don't have to be in the viticulture or winemaking game to see that it's been a interesting year. We've had lots of cold days, lots of warm days, and a mix in between. How's the rainfall been looking? Um, we got a little bit recently. Mm-hmm. I think we got like 22 mils in the Vale. Um, not bad timing. We're just going through Veraison, so the, group, the grapes are changing colour. Um, yeah, good time. A little bit later would have been nicer yep. once the vines had stopped because okay. they're still growing. Um, but yeah, you can't sneeze at a bit of rain at this time of year. Nope. Okay. So, Matt, we're drinking the Box of Shiraz, the 2018 Box of Shiraz tonight, which is a wine you see in quite a few establishments around Adelaide. It seems to be a popular list wine. Um, and uh, I was actually talking to Nick about it before. It's one of those 
it's it's a very accessible Shiraz to be on the pour. Um, it's one that you can pick up at the bottle shop for not a huge amount of money, but at the same time, what you get in the glass belies what you pay for it by a mile. Excellent. And that's one of the things that South Australia does really well. Um, the Shiraz is 65% McLaren Vale, 35% Langhorne Creek. Um, I work and live in McLaren Vale, but I've got a real fondness for Langhorne Creek Shiraz. It's a lovely spot down there, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's really stunning. nice. Um, and yeah, we can produce Shiraz that's really good quality at this price point. Absolutely, we can. So what is the, the difference of the grapes between McLaren Vale and Langhorne Creek? What are they, what's the different thing that they bring to the wine? Different flavours. Uh, McLaren Vale tends to be plummy and chocolatey. We're close to the ocean, so you get really even ripening. Um, down Langhorne Creek, it's a little bit cooler, but it's also a big floodplain. Mm. So you get these kind of brighter raspberry cherry kind of lift to it. Um, so, yeah, you get two quite different characters, even though geologic, geographically they're not so far apart. Mm. Wow. Now, I've been drinking the box of Shiraz for a couple of years now. I, everywhere I go, if it's on the list, I know it's it's a safe bet. You know you're going to have a great glass of wine when you drink it. Um, but Nick and I were talking about the fact that we um, we noticed that with the Molly Duca wines, it's probably, you, you seem to have tears in your releases, and it, I wouldn't necessarily put it in the Enchanted Path tier if, and, the, and the Blue-Eyed Boy tier, if that's um, fair to say. Absolutely. Not, not, not necessarily in quality, but in price point, absolutely. Um, now, from the winemaker's perspective, what's the difference? Okay, it all comes from the vineyard. Um, comes back to fruit weight. Um, Boxer, we make much more volume than mm-hmm. Blue-Eyed Boy and Carnival. Mm-hmm. Um, for the Boxer, it's uh, 13 different vineyards which are actually 40 different blocks. Wow. So you get a lot more uh, physical tonnage going into the grapes. Um, And the beauty of having all those different vineyards is that you get a real consistency of style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, What we're looking for is classic flavours. We won't harvest any grapes until we see a full range of flavours like raspberry, uh, cherry, fresh plum, blackberry going into spice chocolate mm-hmm. um and with the boxer you get so many different vineyards that have different flavors that it builds this real complex um kind of shiraz tapestry yeah yeah absolutely because it does, you're right it's it's one of those ones that you can't necessarily put your finger on that one thing that you're tasting but mm. you know that what you're tasting is a variety of Exactly what you said. The the different styles of fruit are represented, like or the re- different regions are, de- are definitely represented in what you're drinking. Absolutely. So Molly Duke, you tend to pick your grapes a couple of weeks later than a lot of other wineries. Why do you, why is that? Um, we've got a process called the Vineyard Watering Program. Um, in the first episode, I talked about most of the quality of any bottle comes from the vineyard. We think about ninety percent. So um, just like in a kitchen, where you need the freshest best produce same with wine you have the best grapes you can craft the best wine Mm -hmm. Um, so to help with that we have a watering program where we don't water at the start of the season so we kind of make the wine or the grape feel like it's in dry growing conditions so then it limits how many leaves it grows Mm -hmm. and then once it goes into fruiting then we start putting water on so we slow down the 
kind of sugar production because mm. our biggest kind of pressure in um, Australia is summer can be from October going up to 30, 40 degrees. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the sugar increases really quickly. We want to give the vines time to develop all the flavours, the tannins and colour. So um, once we go through Veraison, we start putting on a fair bit of water. Okay. The idea behind that is it kind of irrigates onto the roots. The roots suck it up into the trunk. The trunk kick it out to the leaves. That's where you get photosynthesis. You get all the colours, flavours, tannins being produced. But because it feels like it's dry grown, it's not going to keep on growing leaves. So all that energy and flavour kind of gets dumped into the grapes. Yeah. And then you kind of drive the ripening process. Does that increase the yield of grapes doing it that way? Definitely. Okay. Uh, dry grown vineyards, um, depending on the vineyard, can be a quarter to one tonne per acre, depending on the vintage. We aim for four tonne per acre. Oh, wow. Hey, that's a lot. That's a huge difference. Now, is this one of the attempts and something that Nick and I have been talking about recently because it's at the forefront of everybody in agriculture and in hospitality as well? Is this part of the forward-thinking sustainability program to actually build practices like this so that we can, I don't know, for want of a better phrase, future-proof the wine industry? Absolutely. Resilience yeah. is really important. I have the utmost respect for dry grown vineyards. Some yep. of the flavours they kick out are amazing. Yeah, but with some of the dry years we've had, it's, um, yeah, an intense process. Is it kind of teetering on the edge that if you get rainfall too early or if you get, if, if, if something just happens slightly out of kilter, the whole flow on effect is diabolical? Totally. Yeah. Um, like with um, pollination, when you get flowers. Yep. Normally we don't put any water on, but during that time we put a little bit of water on because the vine needs support at that stage. Mm -hmm. If it's too hot, you don't get flying insects. If it's too windy, you won't get um, decent pollination. Okay. Um, if you get really heavy rain, there's, yeah, all these effects. So we're kind of really lucky in McLaranville that we've got the Wollonga Basin water yep. where it's reclaimed civic water where you get access to water at a good price and good flow rather than relying on mains water. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but saying that, we also harvest water from winter. Yep. We've got rainwater tanks that we send out to an aquifer mm -hmm. and as much as we put in, we can take out. Oh, that's fantastic. So, um, Absolutely fantastic. Well, going back to the wine, it's, it's relatively high in alcohol. Yes. So what is this, like 15.6, 15.5? Something like that. So it's, uh, what do you think that brings to the wine? And, and will the, the impact of the alcohol on the palate kind of dissipate over time? Um, alcohol becomes part of the structure with alcohol, with acid and tannin. Um, alcohol can bring a sweetness, but it also can bring a heat. Um, with our wines, if we could get the same amount of flavour at 13 percent alcohol we'd be happy with that yep. yeah it's um just about the amount of flavor that we can get yep. um when we do have alcohol at that point we tend to put sweet new oak because mm -hmm. it just teeters that um alcohol into balance okay yeah um the older the oak the softer it is is that right yeah yeah the newer the oak you'll get all these kind of compounds like lactones that bring a sweetness mm -hmm. to it. Okay. And flavours. Is that where you get some of that, um, like you, you taste it in other wines, not so much in this one, but that, that sort of jamminess that you can get in a very boozy Shiraz, where it's just almost that sticky sort of 
yeah. flavour on your palate. That and fruit ripeness. Yeah. Um, the beauty of the watering program is because you've got the water going through the vine. There are these early kind of primary flavours like mm-hmm. raspberry and cherry yep. that when it gets riper, gets scavenged to make um, more kind of tertiary mm-hmm. kind of flavours. Um, so with the watering program, we kind of keep the really early bright raspberry cherry, but then as it develops, you kind of go into the chocolate, the plum jam. But the bright notes are really important to wine. Yep. Yep. Excellent. So, so, last oh. up, sorry, Nick. Yeah, last time you were on the show, you, um, you spoke about the Molly Duca fruit weight scale. You've mentioned it there. Yeah. This time we kind of want to know about the Molly Duca shake. What's Easy. Mm-hmm. Molly Duca shake. Kind of dance move. Um, I've done wine dinners and it's turned into a dance move for sure. <laughs> um, it's just the way that we like to present our wine. When the grapes come in, from that point onwards, we're really careful to make sure that you don't get oxygen or microbes. One of the best ways is to use nitrogen. So when we're moving wine from tank to tank, rather than using water to push through the wine, we'll use nitrogen. Okay. Mm. A bit more manual handling, but you either... You save getting water into the wine, yep. and you also save losing wine in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we're mixing a tank, we'll use nitrogen because it's more gentle than a pump. Yep. Um, and just before bottling, when you finish the wine and it's right before it's going to get into a bottle, rather than using heaps of nit- uh, heaps of sulfur, we'll use nitrogen to protect from oxygen getting in. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Catch-22 with oxygen is it's super important for the development of wine. If it's too much too early, then it prematurely ages it. Um, so we want to get that protected as much as possible. And bottling is one of those times where you can get a fair chunk of oxygen yep. coming in. Yeah. Um, the Molly Duca shake is we grab the bottle, pour, say, half a glass, put the lid back on, give it a shake... Nitrogen comes out of the wine into the headspace. Mm-hmm. You can actually see a foam at the top. Mm-hmm. Then we take the lid off. Nitrogen moves out. Oxygen goes in. Put the lid on again. Give it a second shake, and that puts the oxygen all the way through. Smart. The other side to oxygen is it gives all the aromatics a really big lift. Yep. When you've got an old bottle of wine that you pour out and the first glass seems closed and tight, mm-hmm. yeah. it's oxygen going in that lifts all the flavours. Yeah. We've noticed that over the course of the episodes that we've been doing, we've been trying other people's wines, that there have been those that have just completely changed in character, spending 15, 20 minutes in a glass even mm. before you before you have your second sip. Yeah. doesn't necessarily it's, take that long, does it? No, mm. no, but it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's almost like you're drinking a different wine. Yeah, um, because 100%. of the characteristic, characteristics it takes on. Yeah, well, I mean, I had some of this uh, a couple of nights ago, and then I had some last night. And it, it last night, it just seemed to me a little bit more smooth. Uh, yeah, just, mm. uh, yeah, just all of the flavours were were kind of coming coming through a bit more. It's it's just absolutely. And the thing we love about the Molly Duca Shake is, in a restaurant, people will order their food, order a wine, and that comes to their table. We're not like decanting and leaving it on the piano for half a night before anyone has it. <laughs> so this way, rather than having to have a decanter, you open up the wine yeah. in quite a quick fashion. So when they're tasting it, it's looking at its best in a short time. I do want to clarify, you do drink that half glass of wine that you pour out, right? You Absolutely. You pour it out and you... Yeah, okay, good. Um, we don't like if, wine waste. If it wasn't a podcast, I'd do a swirling glass um, to show you, but because you've got more surface area, the oxygen gets in more, nitrogen gets out more. 
Um, the other thing to point out is after two years, you don't have to worry about it. Nitrogen moves out by itself. Okay. Unlike oxygen and dissolved CO2, it never combines with the wine. It'll oh, move right. out by itself so over it just time. it naturally moves itself out over time. And so when you first open it, the first pop you'd get would actually be the nitrogen escaping the Exactly. The okay. So if you had a, say, 2008 boxer, um, you don't have to worry about shaking it and disturbing all the sediment. Mm, you can okay. just put in a decanter and go That's away. Right. Good go. to know, folks. If you've yeah. been cellaring your Molly Duca, you don't have to worry about shaking it. Easy. Good news. After two years. After two years. After two years. Now, we're going to do something new here at Who Nicked My Wine this season. Excellent. We've got a quick fire round for you. Just, we do. We, what we found last season is that we weren't finding a really good way to end the interviews, and so they all just kind of <laughs> trickled off while we all got half cut. But what we thought we'd do this this season is we'd actually have a list of um, one-word answer questions that we'd um, we'd throw at you, and the first thing that hits your um, hits your mind is... Um, is the answer we'd, we'd like to hear. Yeah, no hesitating. No Excellent. Hesitating? I thought you were going to ask me about a food match because you guys are much more eloquent and well-knowledgeable about that. This oh. is kind of a safer option. Let's go. Sure. Okay. Well, I feel that we should ask him about a food match now. Well, <laughs> we've kind of set ourselves up, so... <laughs> Let's do that afterwards. Let's do that afterwards. Okay, so it's going to take about 30 seconds. First answer. First thing that pops in your head. Not really any thinking. Automatic response. Okay? Okay. Excellent. Red or white? Red. Australian or French? Australian. McLarenville or the Brosser? McLarenville. Dessert wine or dessert? No hesitating. Dessert wine only because botrytis freaks me out. (laughs) (laughs) Corks or caps? Ah, caps. Aperitif or digestif? Digestive. Mm. Beer or spirits? Beer because I behave better. Okay. Favourite varietal? No pausing. That's what's, like our cabinet. What's, the, no, what's the first? Think. Yeah. We, we, Am know. I allowed to give three answers? Go on then. <laughs> It'd be um, Cabernet, Grenache, and then Shiraz. Okay. Least favourite? Be honest. It's too much pausing going on. Zinfandel. Zinfandel, really? Okay. The weird thing is, that's some of my favourite wines. It's Catch 22. Okay. One thing you love about your job? Meeting people and being able to talk about food and wine. Okay. One thing you would change about the wine industry? Does taxation count? Yes. It absolutely does. Bucket list wine. It's the final question. Any burgundy? Because I've heard people talking about Pinot and I don't exactly have the wallet to taste the mind-searingly good. Barolo, I've tasted some amazing. Bordeaux. But just some of the burgundies that people rave about. Awesome. Brilliant. Thank well, you very much. Thank you very much for your time. First time we've tried that out, but it won't be the last. Huh? Easy as. Thank you very thank much, you. Nick and Thank Nick. you very much for your time. Who Nick My Wine was brought to you by the Second Street Chili Company and N Plus One and Associates with theme music courtesy of Hannah Fairlamb, whose new album is out now on Bandcamp. Look up Bucko and the album is Crushing Crushed. Special thanks must go to the Doctor of Dials, the Master of Bass, the Fifth Beatle himself. We'd call him Nick too if he'd let us. That's Tim Allen in the booth for Podcast Central. Our guest tonight was Matt Walker-Brown from Molly Duca Wines. And I don't know about you, Nick, but that boxer Shiraz was something special. It really was. 
Uh, we're on uh, Instagram and Facebook as Who Nicked My Wine. On Instagram, we've got over 440 followers. Wow, eh? Hey. Which That's is pretty nice. Lovely organic range, isn't it? Can't argue with that. On mm. Facebook, we've got over 330 followers. Ooh, Look at us. I know. Aren't we special? Yeah. Um, if you want to help us reach new listeners, please rate us on Google and Apple Podcasts. That would really do us a massive favour. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, we can answer those in upcoming episodes. And if you are an owner of a winery or a winemaker and interested in joining us in the studio, please do get in contact. We would love to hear from any of you. So that's about it from all of us here tonight at Podcast Central and Who Nicked My Wine, advising you all to please drink responsibly. And until next time, happy drinking. Happy drinking.